Well, prayer is a tough uh, topic to preach about. We know that we should pray, don't we? There's probably nobody here that would say, well, we don't really need to pray. Most of us would say, yeah, we know that. And yet, you know, I feel like, um, at least at the church in general, including ourselves in that, that the church, maybe in America in particular, is not really known as a praying church. I don't know if you would agree with that, but from what I experience and what I see in my own life and at the the church as a whole, I don't mean that to be necessarily a downer or to have this message be a time where we just kind of beat each other up about why we don't pray very much. I mean, we know a few people who are avid, passionate prayers, and we might know some congregations where prayer seems to be a very integral part of the congregation. But as a whole, I think we would agree that the bar is set pretty low when it comes to prayer. We know that prayer meetings are not exactly the most popular event that happens in the church or on the church calendar. In fact, we might even use the phrase sometimes, that's about as exciting as a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, that's not necessarily talking like in a good way. So if we're honest, there's a gap between what we intellectually believe or what we say we believe about prayer and what we actually do. Of course, this is the case in all areas of our lives, right? There's a gap. We're all growing and learning how to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to God and to be transformed. It's a process that's going to take our entire life for that to happen. We're being changed. But unless we recognize that there's a gap, we might just settle in where we're at. Just settle in and say, this is what it is. This is what God intends for us. This is what it's like. And so, I think it's important for us, first of all, to recognize that there's a gap. And I would say that we know very little about prayer. I'll just put that out there. That's my opinion. We know very little about prayer. And I'm not saying that we haven't heard a lot of messages about it or haven't talked a lot about it. I'm just saying I think we know very little. Today I'd like us to consider closing that gap to some degree between what we say we believe and what we actually practice. A pastor told me about an individual in his congregation who he was talking with recently about the events of 2020. And as they were talking, the individual said, we need to mobilize the church to pray. It's great. Pastors love to hear this from people. It's awesome. And so he eagerly said, well, absolutely said, like, we've got prayer meeting this night and this morning. Like, he listed several times where the church was gathering together to pray. And the individual said, oh, well... I think I, I'm pretty busy, so 
I don't think those are going to work for me. Now, the individual is right. We do need to mobilize the church to pray. But somehow, somehow there's this gap between what we say and even like encourage each other to do and what we actually carry out as individuals, how we prioritize our life when it comes to prayer. There's a gap. Okay, enough said about the gap. I've been dreaming the past couple weeks, and I am a dreamer. I could just talk to my wife. She um, tries to keep my feet on the ground. I've always got an idea about what we could do. And she's good about, like, making sure I don't necessarily do that if I really don't have the capability to do it or the time to do it. She keeps me grounded most of the time. But I've been dreaming about this idea. What if we could mobilize the whole church to pray passionately and regularly? What would happen? And I'd like you to, if you would, if you could just dream with me today. Maybe you have a lot of preconceived ideas about prayer. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I've tried that. I've prayed about different things that didn't happen. And so... I've kind of just settled into a nice little rut about prayer. I'd like you to set those things aside for a moment and just dream with me, if you would. Even if you're not necessarily a dreamer, maybe you're a more practical person, like how's that going to happen? But dream with me, what would happen if we mobilized the entire church? Not just this church, but the church across Madison County or across Ohio or the United States to mobilize the church to pray. What would happen? What do you think would happen? And I'm not saying there aren't people who are not passionate about playing. There are a lot of those people. But I think they're the exception rather than the rule in the Christian church, at least in America. Do you remember that guy I mentioned, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago? His name was Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. It's kind of a name that sticks with you. Um, I mentioned him. He wrote some hymns. And I, we sang one of those hymns maybe a month or so ago. But I watched a short documentary on this guy. It's on Prime Video. There's three of them. I watched the first one. And it caught my attention because one of the things that he did... Well, I think I talked about it. He came into, there's a community of very diverse people from all different kinds of backgrounds that settled. He allowed them to settle on part of his property because he was a wealthy man. And they were having lots of trouble getting along. They were ones who some believed in in God, um, not all of them, but they were having lots of trouble. Uh, Lots of strife and disagreement, argument, separation. And he went in there and met in each home and they studied the scriptures to see what the scriptures say about being together and about being united and loving one another. And that that community came together in such a dynamic way. There was really a revival that kind of broke out among that community as they studied the scriptures together. And one of the things that happened as a result of that is that he called those people together to pray. And on August 27th, 
1727, 24 men and 24 women committed to pray for an hour every day for 24-7 prayer coverage of that group of people. And others joined in to sign up to pray for certain time slots, 24-7 prayer, where a person would commit, I'm going to pray for an hour every day, I'm going to take this time and pray. You know how long they kept that up? I may have told some of you, so you can't, you can't say. Just think about it, 24-7 prayer. I know some of us are thinking, I find it difficult to focus for five minutes to pray, but an hour each day to pray. And 24 men and women decided, they committed themselves to one another to do this. They kept this up for over 100 years. 100 years. And it made me dream, like, wow, isn't that cool to think that you have a group of people that are committed to prayer, and of course, it wasn't all those same people, I'm sure, but that group of people passed that on, one to another, and kept that up. And over that time frame, they sent out over 300 missionaries from that small group of people around the world. What will happen if we pray? I want you to grab a hold of that idea, that dream, and think about it. What will happen if we pray? Here are God's words to Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 33, 3. God tells him, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, I know Marcus, some years ago, used to call this God's phone number. Jeremiah 33.3 is God's phone number. Right, Marcus? Did I have that right? Yeah. So maybe that's how you can remember Jeremiah 33.3. This is a promise given to Jeremiah and the Israelites as to how God will respond if they call to him. And we have many parallel verses of the same kind in the New Testament. I'm not going to share all of them, but there are a lot of them. Let's have the same message. What will happen when we pray? Well, I don't have any like mysterious answer this morning. God will answer. If we pray, God will answer. It's a promise, and it's promised over and over in Scripture. If we pray, God will answer. And this morning, I'm going to speak primarily about asking about calling to God. The depths of prayer are deep. We could talk about thanksgiving, about praise, about adoration. And this morning, I want to primarily focus on asking, on petition, or supplication, or even confession, I think, is asking. What will happen when we pray? God will answer. Now, I know that's not some great new revelation to you this morning. But I want you to wonder about that for a moment. I want you to think about that. Take a moment and wonder about this idea that the God who has made all things, that created the universe that we experience, who sustains it, all things, who knows all things, 
who is above all things, who is over all things. This God who knows that we are dust, He made us. He will answer if we call to Him. Am I the only one that finds that somewhat amazing? The God of the universe is going to listen to what I have to say? He cares about what's going on in my heart and my mind? And that if I ask Him, He's going to answer me. I, I think it's one of the most amazing things to even think about, that that would happen. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked Him. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. Do you have that kind of confidence in God? That He's going to do that? It says here that He's going to do that. Do you approach Him with that kind of confidence? Do you understand this gap I'm talking about? There's a big gap here, isn't there? Intellectually, we say, well, yeah, I... I believe that. I believe that God's going to answer my prayers. But then we talk to each other and we're like, Man, I really don't know what to do about this situation or I'm not really, like, I'm confused. I don't, have you prayed about it? Oh, no, I didn't think about doing that. There's a big gap here somehow between what we say we know and believe and what we practice. It makes no sense. They're very familiar verses, but we give minimal, if any time, to asking God for anything of significance other than our simple laundry list of comforts that we want. We're pretty good at that part of it. The laundry list, and even the things that we do ask, I think if we're honest, often we have little belief that anything will actually happen, that God will actually do something or respond. I want to read the passage again that Maggie read for us just a few minutes ago. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It couldn't be much clearer, could it? 
And I could go down the list of scriptures that say the same thing. Reuben would call that proof texting. I don't need to do that. The message is clear here. What will happen if we pray? God will answer. And not only will he answer, but he will give us good gifts. Good gifts. He told Jeremiah, I will show you great and mighty things which you don't know about. You don't even know. You don't have any idea. But when you ask, I'm going to show you things. And I think in this case, there were specific things, a specific promise to Jeremiah that he was going to show him. But the general principle is all throughout Scripture for all of those who follow God. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so I have a very simple message this morning. We need to ask. We need to ask of the Lord. It's, it's such a simple concept, and yet somehow we're kept from understanding all that is being offered to us by God himself who keeps his promises. Now, Doris could be skeptical, my wife, if this was just an idea that I came up with and I said, okay, everybody, ask me and I'll give you whatever you want. Now that is dreaming, isn't it? Because I can't come through on that. And that's part of the reason that she's skeptical about some of my dreams. She knows that Rob's probably not going to come through on all that he's dreaming about there. But this one, this one is backed up by the God of the universe who is unlimited in what he can do. He knows exactly what it is that you and I need. And he says, I'm going to give it to you. It's not an empty promise. This is someone who can back it up. Call on me, and I will answer you. So, how do we do this? Well, the first thing that I think of is humility. It requires humility to ask of anyone. You ask most of us here how good we are at going and asking someone else for help. None of us are really too good at that. It takes humility to recognize, you know what, I can't do this. I don't know what the solution is. I don't have what it takes. I need somebody else to step in here and help me out. And so we're never going to ask if we don't think we need anything or if we think we've got it all figured out already. We're not going to ask. Pride, I believe, is the greatest barrier to prayer. I heard an African brother ask, he was asked this question, why the American church does not pray. And he simply said, you don't need God. He'd been here, he'd observed our churches that had been around us. He said, you don't, you don't need God. You, you guys have everything that you want. 
He said, we, we know we need God. And I think it's a true assessment. We think we have everything we need. We think we're pretty smart. We think we've got things figured out pretty well. Once in a while we might struggle and then we might show, throw up a prayer to God. But most of the time we're figuring it out. We've got it figured out. But prayer requires humility. We're just not going to pray if we don't think we need anything. We're not going to. We're not going to ask. King Jehoshaphat, in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he gives us the words to say. He and the Israelites are facing a vast army, if you know that story. Describes it as a huge, overwhelming army. And so, what did they do? They prayed. And he says these words, and I think of them often when I pray. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I think maybe it's a phrase that we should adopt and that we should use. Maybe every time we pray. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So often we come to prayer not with necessarily questions, but we come with the answer for God, just in case he didn't really know. Okay, God, so here's the deal. Here's what we need, and I need you to do it. We come with the answers. That is not asking, is it? That's telling. And all of us have been on the receiving end of somebody telling us what to do rather than asking us to do something. You've all experienced that. There's a big difference between the two. I'm discovering there's an advantage with getting older. And maybe this isn't universal, but the older I get, it seems to me that the less I know. It doesn't seem like it should work that way, but that's how I feel. And maybe even the less that I, like, I don't know, it just seems like age, I'm more clumsy. Um, I used to, we used to kind of make a little bit of fun of one of our daughters who just always made a mess when she was eating, and like, I am that person now. Like, I'm always dropping something on my shirt, and I'm like, how did that happen? I never used to do that. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but as I get older, I'm realizing there are fewer and fewer things that I can stand on and say, you know, I've got that, I've got that together. I've got that one figured out. It's going the other way. More and more I'm thinking, I don't know what that is. I don't have any idea what to do in this situation. I thought I knew how to parent, but I guess I don't. 
um, those kinds of things. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for me. Because, you know, I think all along, even as a 20-something, I didn't know very much. But, you know, I thought I did. But it's just the truth. We, we think we know so much, but we don't. And yes, I am grateful for the gifts that God gives us, like critical thinking and skills and abilities, and I admire those. But when we take those and weigh them in comparison to God's wisdom and his skill and his power, they're, they're absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing in comparison. And so how in the world could we even think to tell God the answer to the question, ask him to do something that we think we know exactly what needs to happen? We need to come to God in humility. Call to me, Jeremiah, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You're probably familiar with the verse in James chapter 1, verse 5, which says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Anybody here lack wisdom? I do. Where should I go? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? God wants to pour out his wisdom on us generously, lavishly. But we must humble ourselves, turn from our sin, and pray. We must pray and pray. I need wisdom every day, every minute of every hour. Pray. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. Secondly, and there's be a lot of things we could talk about, about how to do this, but these are two things that came to my mind. And this is another obvious one, we must believe. Continuing in James chapter 1, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You must believe that he is true to his promises. And yeah, I know, I know, this place over here I keep stepping over into, we say, We say we believe. I know that. I don't doubt that any of us would maybe say differently. But my question is, then why is prayer such a minimal part of our life? It just makes no sense. If we look at it, it makes no sense. We must truly believe. As I've listed some of the promises that God gives us, I have to wonder if we actually believe it. Not just theory, but believe it, that God will answer. 
that he does give good gifts. I think often our prayers rattle out of our mouths with little conscious thought or belief that God will actually respond to them. Maybe it's some habit that we've been raised with. We rattle that prayer off at lunch. I don't remember what our prayer was that we had often, but there's phrases I remember that we used to use, and we just rattle them out like without any kind of thought whatsoever that God is going to respond to what I just said. There's a lot of reasons why maybe we don't engage on this idea of what belief actually is when it comes to prayer. James says, don't expect to see anything happen from those kinds of prayers. Like, don't expect much to happen. If that's your approach to prayer. And it's not that he's saying we have to have some super fantastic faith in order for God to respond. I don't think that's what we see in Scripture. It's really simple. He says, ask, and I'm going to answer. And I think sometimes that's just what he talks about, a childlike faith. A very simple childlike faith that a child would expect their parent to give them a good answer when they ask. It doesn't have to be this levels of faith that somehow God's not going to do anything until we reach level three or whatever. No, do you believe? Do you believe? Even if it's a small belief, but do you believe that God's going to do something when you, when you ask him? Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's how my mind grabs a hold of it. Do I believe that? Our eyes are on you. If we believe these fantastic promises from God, we will pray. That's just the way it'll be. Nobody's going to have to tell us to do it. Nobody's going to have to remind us. We don't have to feel guilty about it. If we believe that, we're going to pray all the time with all kinds of requests on every occasion without ceasing, just like it talks about in the New Testament. Those are just going to happen if we believe that God is going to do what he says he will do. Who would not want the generous wisdom of God in every situation? It's a no-brainer. At least it is if you believe that God's wisdom is greater than any kind of wisdom that you could have. That If you believe that you actually need it. Back to the question of humility. If you believe, you will pray. If you pray, you will pray in expectation that God will do what he said, whether you see it or not, and you will continue to pray. We have prayed for things that haven't happened. All of us have. And that can be challenging, no question. I prayed for my brother who had cancer. I prayed for him to be healed, and he was not healed. Although, he's with Jesus. I think that's probably pretty cool. I don't know, just saying. What he was going through was not cool. It was terrible. There's a lot of reasons why 
We don't necessarily see answers to prayer. James told us we can't expect God to respond to hollow prayers that have no belief. And later he says, simply, you don't have because you don't ask. That's pretty simple. And then he goes on to say, and when you do ask, you ask wrongly for things for your own pleasure. So there are reasons why God doesn't respond to some prayers. Sometimes we ask and it's not the best thing for us, the thing that we're asking for. It's not good. Just imagine as a child, your child, if you have children, and just whatever they ask for, sure, here you go. Have it. Go play in traffic. Whatever you want. Sometimes those things are not good for us. And so, of course, a good God is not going to give those things to us. Do we trust Him with that? Paul asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. He asked three times. And every time God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's a tough one. No question about it. That's a tough one. Jesus asked for the burden of the cross to be removed from him. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. What was God's response? No. He did not remove the burden of the cross. And because of that, you and I can experience forgiveness of sin, new life, eternal life. Think about it. We glory in a terrible thing, the cross, that Jesus asked to be removed, but God said, no, I'm not going to remove that because this is the way, this is the best way for the kingdom, for you and I. Do you believe that God will answer when you call? That he will give good gifts to his children? I need to wrap up because I'm going a little long here. Um, what do we do now? I've been asking that question for the last month. What do we do now? We talked about just Jesus. Jesus being the center of all that we do, the rock on which we stand. We talked about following him. Him alone, listening to the Word of God over all the other noise in this world. And today, we're talking about seeking Him. What do we do now? We seek Him. I, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We pray. Not because He's our last resort or because... Yeah, not because He's our last resort. He's our first option not that we need to pray more in these times because we should pray at all times. We always need Him. Desperately, we always need His wisdom. We always need His strength and His power. We always need His protection. We always need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table this morning. I don't have any power to motivate you or even myself 
to change you or myself when it comes to prayer. I might be able to guilt you or even guilt myself into doing a little bit more, but there's no benefit in that really. I don't know how to break through to my own heart or even to yours. I don't have some great plan for you of how we're going to change the world. All I know is that we need Jesus. That's all I know. We need Jesus. And I think if Jesus were to look down over us, the church in America, as he did over Jerusalem that day when he entered the city, I think he would weep as well. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We're following all kinds of other things, depending on our own strength and our own wisdom. And he's saying, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me alone. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God wants to do so much in each one of us, in our congregation, in our community. And we need to humble ourselves and seek his face. There's no other way. And so I want to, I'm stretching the time, but I want to pray. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. One of the things that I like to do in prayer is kneel. And I'm going to do that this morning, and I'm going to invite any of you. Eyes are closed, nobody's seeing you anyway. If that's something that you want to do to me, it reminds me of my position before God. It reminds me, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so, if you'd like to kneel, I invite you to do that, both here in the building and those of you who are at home. Humble yourself before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we recognize that we don't know what to do. We recognize that we're looking often to other places for our answers, for wisdom, for direction, for guidance. And we recognize when we come to you in prayer, often we're not even really asking the things of the kingdom, but we're asking things for our own selfish desires. Teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know all that we have access to in prayer. And so, Lord, this morning, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each one of us here, that you would touch our hearts, peel back the layers of belief that is maybe somewhat dead belief. Peel it back. 
And may your word penetrate the very depths of our heart so that what we say we believe lines up with what we actually do. Lord, we don't know what you want to do with us. We don't know how you want to use us in this world. But Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would change us, especially in this area of asking and seeking you for all things in this life. Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you revive our hearts? Would you renew them? Would you give us a vision, an excitement about what could possibly happen if we came to you, say, even 15 minutes a day or a half hour, let alone an hour? What what would happen if we all did that, joined together in prayer? 50, 60, 100 people What would happen? Well, you say you will answer and that you will do great and marvelous things. Whether we see them or recognize them or not, we can in faith recognize that you will do those things. You you carry out your promises. You keep your promises. And so, Lord, ignite our hearts. Give us a vision for what it is that you want to do in us and through us. And may we surrender our pride and our arrogance before you this morning and seek you above everything else for all things in life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to leave you with a verse, Ephesians 3.20. It's often used as a benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen.